Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by my upcoming book, The Influencer Economy, coming to bookstores and amazon.com in February. I'm profiling makers, creators, entrepreneurs, and geeks who have transformed media. I've deconstructed the careers of YouTube creators like Freddie Wong and Hannah Hart, as well as podcasters like Mark Marin, getting accounts as to how they successfully launched their media careers reverse engineering all the work they did for anyone with a business to learn from. Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. For episode number 73, I'm speaking with Chris Morrow, who's the CEO and co-founder of the Loudspeakers Network, a podcast network focused on hip-hop and multicultural communities online. Chris is a five-time New York Times best-selling author, including hit, hitting the New York Times best-selling list with Russell Simmons on two occasions. His notable books with Russell Simmons are Super Rich, Do You, and Success Through Stillness, Meditation Made Simple. Chris co-founded the Loudspeakers Network with Reggie Ossie, who's known as Combat Jack in the podcasting world, one of my most favorite podcasts. He's regarded as the Charlie Rose or Dick Cavett of hip-hop. Chris and I talk in detail about what it's like to work with someone like Russell Simmons and collaborating as a co-writer with him on many books, as well as what it's like to launch a podcast network and, and how he co-founded and runs the Loudspeaker Network with Combat Jack, as well as a lot of other details into successfully launching a media business in 2015. We also talk at length about what it's like to be authentic on the internet and how it's not as easy as people think it is. So make sure you stick around for that part of the conversation. What's it like writing a book with Russell Simmons? It's a lot of different things. Uh, we're on our one, two, three. I think we have our fourth book coming out uh, this November, which is called The Happy Vegan, which is exactly what it sounds like, a book on why being a vegan will make you happy. So four books in, we've got a pretty good rhythm going on. Uh, I first started working with Russell, I think it was in like 2005. And so how did you all get connected? And so I'm fascinated by working with people that are visionaries. And yeah. I, I mean, I think we both have visions for our own companies. And, but having like the next level, like Russell Simmons type person, and I've worked for startups where founders have these amazing unreachable goals. Right. And it's to the point where the, you, they inspire people to deliver on the job because the goals are so high that you don't think you can do it. But as a team, you come together and hopefully it happens. What's it yeah, like when I mean, you're writing a book with someone like that? Uh, I mean, it's. I think out of all the people who work with Russell, I kind of have a more, I won't say unique relationship, but it's a different dynamic because, you know, whenever you're in a situation where there's a powerful person, uh, Russell calls them kings, which is pretty much, you know, an apt description. Like, you know, everybody, they're, they're these guys or women or whoever, you know, who are like kings of their own little kingdoms. And when you're dealing with a situation like that, a lot of it is just about access. And you have a lot of people fighting for access and kind of barring other people's access. And in general, I think Russell does just a really good job across the board of not getting caught up in that stuff and kind of give, like, he'll talk to anybody. Like, it doesn't matter what your position is in his organization or if it's just someone he bumps into the street. Like, he's open to talking to everybody. He's open to everybody's ideas. And I think that's one of his secrets. But... Coming in as a writer, like, 
I kind of just immediately got all access to him. Like, you know, when we worked on this book, even though I'd only been working with him for like a couple months and didn't know him that well, you know, and he has people who's been with him for 20 something years, you know, like we have to go to the Hamptons and spend, you know, seven days in the Hamptons pretty much living together, working on this thing 24 seven. So, you know, I just got kind of instant access to him, which just, you know, when you're dealing with someone in that position, just makes everything a lot easier. There are no gatekeepers. I don't have to call and, you know, get access. And now we're friends, so it doesn't even matter anyway. But in terms of, like, being part of one of those organizations and the team, I think, you know, what, like, Russell's thing is, like, the guy, you can say whatever you want, like, he works really hard. Like, he gets up at 6 a.m. and he's working and he's thinking about work and he, you know, he's on the same mental page at, um, you know, 11 or 12 at night like he just hustles the entire day long and he throws himself into anything like there's no attitude where it's like "Ah, I'm Russell Simmons I don't have to pick up the phone and call this guy I'm Russell Simmons I don't have to beg somebody for this I'm Russell Simmons I don't have to ask them again after they already said no once like if he if he wants something he's going to go after it all the way and you know if you're around somebody like that who's had a lot of success in any in a number of fields like it's inspiring and it's kind of contagious too you kind of pick up that energy and the, the handful of times i've met him he's a raw energy and yeah it's totally raw and he's unfiltered that's for sure and but because he's russell simmons you respect everything and sometimes it's overwhelming because he says words that you've ne- i've never heard you know before like an n-bomb at a meeting uh, I mean, like, I tell people, the first book, there was some sort of argument with the publisher, and they were going back and forth, and it was getting heated and heated and heated, and then all of a sudden, there was an email that got sent at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning that I was part of, and I, I can't even, like, say what he said in the email, but it was, like, whatever you heard him say, it was, like, 30 times. It was, like, and I curse, like, I'm not, you know, I don't care about language, but, like, I was, like... I, like, do people talk like this? Like, I was like, is the president of a company allowed to say this to Russell and Vice, and I'm in it, and they're talking about me? I, I started panicking. Like, I was sweating. Like, like this this can't happen. And then I was like, oh, this is just how business gets conducted on that level with certain people. And you know, it's interesting. Like when those Sony leaks came out last year, and every, you know, a lot of people were kind of like, oh, I can't believe they talked to each other like that. I was like, nah, that's how a lot of these guys and women get down. Like, they yeah. really. And I think there's almost like a uh, a sport to it, you know, where you can be like, fuck you, you cocksucker. And, you know, and, and, you know, just to see how serious you are, because the people who kind of shy back or fall away when it gets heated like that, they don't even want to deal with those people. Like they want to know that you're as willing to go all in as they are. And that's one of the ways I think they try to gauge it. Well, there's a I read a study a couple years ago that swearing at work actually brings people together. Cause I like, believe it. You know, it like opens up like an honesty where you let your guard down and you swearing actually catches people off guard. So it makes them more comfortable. Yeah, and it humanizes you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when people are sitting in a room and they feel like someone's talking to them, if not off a script, but they're just, they're very, you know, it's like stylized and it's kind of like that corporate talk or whatever the lane is. I think I, I try to curse. I mean, I don't go yeah. out of my way, but I mean, I, I notice that if I'm like, like when I said to you, uh, you know, backstory, we were supposed to tape this the other day and I got the days wrong. And when you hit me, I was like, yo, my bad, man. I fucked up. Yeah. But like that probably disarmed you a little well, bit. Well, then I was, I was like, you know what? Like I, it didn't cost me much. I did some work for 
the half hour I was waiting and you owned it. Right. Right. And you and I got to my lunch early that I was probably going to be late to. <laughs> right. If I had given you like a very by the book response where I'd said, uh, really sorry about that due to a scheduling mix up, you've kind of been like, nah, whatever with this guy. Thanks again for checking out the show this week. If you are into podcasting, I want to quickly remind you I have a couple old archived episodes at InfluencerEconomy.com or iTunes and SoundCloud as well. Talk to Jeff Ulrich, who's the co-founder of Earwolf Media, which is a pioneering podcast network that has comedy shows like Comedy Bang Bang, a great business podcast called The Wolf Den. And they also are one of the early advertisers in the podcasting field. So they work with Bill Simmons and Nerdist and Mark Marin. So Jeff Ulrich and I talk about all of that in a past episode that I'll link to in the description. And another great podcast episode is with Veronica Belmont. Uh, she is a podcaster based in San Francisco, does sword and laser and a lot of tech shows uh, all over the web. She's a pioneer, was early on Twitter, YouTube, and a great influencer. She's also going to be featured in the book. So please check out her episode with Veronica Belmont as well. I believe that's episode 50. Now back to the show with Chris Morrow. And you are co-founder of the Loudspeakers Network, which... Yep is an awesome network i'm a big fan of it combat jack i think is one of the best podcasts out there right now uh for hip-hop and and, and i think american culture and so how many podcasts do you guys have total uh depending on where certain people are in their lives at the given moment uh i'm gonna say we have between 15 16 17 in that nature it's me and uh reggio say who's combat jack who you just mentioned and uh we started with his show, The Combat Jack Show. He just re- I was a fan of his show just like you are. I thought it was a great show. I, think, I still think it's a great show. Do you, you mind describing yeah. the show for people who haven't heard? Yeah, so he's been called like the Dick Cavett or the Charlie Rose of hip-hop, and it's not completely inaccurate. I mean, it's, a, it's an interview-based show. He speaks to uh, a lot of what you would call old-school rappers, really long, in-depth, interviews sometimes going over two hours which is something i actually argue with him and his staff about sometimes and also not just rappers but just kind of interesting people in hip-hop culture and connected to hip-hop culture uh it was definitely one of the first really big hip-hop podcasts that came out and i think in a lot of ways really kind of helped you know set the stage for kind of the explosion that you're seeing now and I was a fan of it. I didn't know him, but he, he tweeted one day when they, I guess they're about six or seven months in, that he just didn't know. You know, he's basically like, I don't know what I'm doing. If anybody understands radio, uh, could you help me? Because at that time, he really saw it as, you know, what they were calling an online radio show. Yep. And I was, fan, I was a podcast fan. And so I just hit him back and said, you know, I work in radio, but, you know, like, I don't think this is a radio show. I think this is a podcast, and I think you should really embrace that. Had you and met him at all? No, I hadn't met him. But then once we started talking on Twitter, it turned out we lived maybe five minutes away from each other. We had a whole bunch of mutual friends. It turns out I've been friends with his cousins, and I didn't even know it. So, you know, that we realized we had a lot of common ground right off the bat. That's the, so be- came- the beauty of Twitter in the media world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like literally the best case Twitter scenario that you could imagine. I mean, and then he became co-founder. Yeah, so we, we started with one show, and then I was basically like, look, uh, 
this doesn't just have to be one podcast. There's there's a whole space right now that needs podcasts like this, not the same podcast, but we could really expand this thing. And you're talking like specifically like hip hop culture. You know, I can remember the episode of the Combat Jack show that got me hooked. It was an episode uh, with Sean Price, R.I.P., who passed away, unfortunately, a couple, I guess a month ago or so now, and Rod Digger, and they were on uh, talking about raising kids and trying to get their kids to do homework, and, you know, Sean was talking about the fact that he smoked pot, but he doesn't want his kid to smoke pot, or whatever it was. And I, I remember just having this moment where I was like, oh, shit, like, this is a podcast. This is what I want to be listening to. Yeah. Like, no disrespect to, uh, you know, Future or Drake or any of these guys. But, like, I don't, you know, like, I just don't care that much anymore. Like, I've, I've seen so many cycles of artists come and go. And I've seen so many promotional interviews. It's just like, that's not really speaking to me. But listening to these rappers talk about the struggles of, you know, raising kids. I got two kids. Like I connected with that. Um, so that's kind of what really was like my aha moment where it was like, Hey, there are probably a lot of other people out there having a similar experience, wishing there was something that was kind of more directed towards them. And then we just started making it. Now, having said that, I don't want to put us in a box like we're the you know, podcast network for, you know, aging hip hop well, for because- washed, <laughs> washed up hip hop fans. Right. That so are, that's, the, the people that's that don't go good. to Ken, Kendrick Lamar shows, the exactly. loudspeak. Yeah, you know, yeah. But but I think I've studied. I'm doing the influencer economy book. I'm, I study a lot of movements and cultures around podcasting and YouTube and content creators. And you always need that early group, like the early, yeah. like every early adopter community or whatever you want to call it, that yeah. is the galvanizing force that tells you this is great or this sucks. And exactly. Instagram had it when they built their product. Mark Marin had it with WTF, like, and they cl- community t- collaborates with you and tells you what works and what doesn't. Right. So if you don't have that early group, then no one else is going to follow. No, we had that. We had that uh, core support, and you know, I I think you know the other thing we've really tried to focus on in our shows is authenticity, um, for better or for worse. Kind of like these are who the hosts are. These are their point of views. These are their experiences. And they're just trying to be open and transparent about that. So I think people really responded to that, too, because, you know, not to say that people are disingenuous on terrestrial radio or whatever the space is, but, you know, it's a little more packaged. And our stuff was a lot more raw. And I think that that attracted a lot of people as well. Yeah, I think uh, so. The word authentic, we talk about a lot on this show. And so if you're listening at home, and you have a beer by you or a drink, take a drink because authentic is like a word I love and hate, right? Because it wow. means exactly what it is, but then everyone says it like it's this easy to, it's so hard to be authentic. Like it, it really is. is hard to let your guard down in front of a camera or in front of, on top of a microphone. I mean, it's authentic to be, I mean, it's difficult to be authentic on air. It's difficult to be authentic off air. People struggle to be authentic to their families and their friends yeah. their whole life. They go to therapy for years to figure it out. (laughs) Hope you're enjoying this episode with Chris Morrow. Want to remind everyone, I'm so excited for the Influencer Economy book to be coming out in February. Hopefully, I'll have my Amazon pre-sale page up in the next coming weeks. But until then, you can email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com. If you'd like more information and want to subscribe to my email list, I give out free videos, free business advice, and exclusive chapters ahead of the book launch. 
I'm also forming a book launch team for people to help me get the word out about it. You can see behind the scenes of launching a book from a business perspective, as well as do uh, weekly calls around the book launch with me and other people, part of the community. If you're interested in that, also find me, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com. And don't forget to leave a review if you're listening to this on iTunes. It really, really helps us. Heading back to the show with Chris Morrow. No, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things about this whole experience is, uh, you know, I've never tried to run any sort of business before. Or, you know, you know I was a writer. Like, I, I kind of was a lone wolf. I did what I had to do, and, but I was never, you know, trying to organize a team, but I would always look at situations and kind of say, well, I, you know, I don't understand why this guy does that or why don't they do that or, you know, they're sellouts, why are they doing this? But then when you get in the situation, you're like, oh, okay, it's not so easy to be authentic. Like, there yeah. are a lot of pressures on you to make decisions that you might not want to make, but you feel compelled to do them for whatever reason. So I value... the. the if, if someone really is being authentic, uh, I, I, I appreciate it even more now because I, I see it's not as easy as it looks from the outside in. But don't you, in some ways, don't you and Russell write books about authenticity, like trying to find your true self and, you know, using tools like meditation or being a vegan or, you know, do you, for example. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you is like the slogan for authenticity. Yeah. And I've, I've always been, you know, everybody has the things that they don't share, but I, I've, I've always been pretty transparent or authentic, whatever you want to call it, just because I feel that's just the quickest way to get what you're trying to achieve is just to, you know, I, 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 I spend a lot of time talking to people about podcasting and what we're trying to do, and more often than not, in every conversation, I basically say some version of, hey, you know, the truth is, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, I don't know what we're doing, we're, we're making this up as we go along, this whole thing is held together with, uh, you know, masking tape and tinfoil. And I think there's actually some power. I mean, you don't want to undersell yourself, but it, it's how I feel. And I think there's some truth in it. And I think that, or there's a lot of truth in it. But I think that when you really kind of lay that out there, you get a lot more from people because they're not, you know, everyone's always worried, is this guy trying to get over on me? Or is she trying to you know, cut me off here, but I just can't see it. And I think if you kind of just open up and say, look, this these, this is what we're dealing with. These are the issues. We don't really know what the answer is. I can't promise you anything. And just kind of have those conversations. It's not always what people want to hear, but I think in the long term, they respect it. Are these people that are hosts you work with or companies that sponsor? Or? Could be anything. It could be a host. It could be a company that we're going to collaborate with. Uh... I mean, the only people I don't give that sort of rap to is advertisers because I try to just, if, if, if we're going to work with somebody, actually another concept that Russell kind of drilled into my head that I, I kind of try to follow because I think there's a lot of value to it is uh, over, no, what is it? Now I'm going to fuck it up. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah. Which is basically like, all right, if, if we have a, a podcast and one of the episodes does 250,000 but there's also one that did 45,000 when I sell it to the advertiser I'm going to sell it closer to the 45,000 yeah even though even though the temptation would be to be like yeah this is a $200,000 episode cuz I'd much rather come in somewhere that's probably going to be closer to the truth consistently and then have that advertiser get extra value consistently and then want to build a long-term Absolutely. relationship then say, 
yeah, yeah, you can get 200,000, and then they get 48 and 59 and 72, and they're like, hey, I'm paying for 200,000, but we've only hit it once out of the last six episodes. And, you know, that was something that Russell always was like a mantra around him was just like, under-promise, over-deliver. It's okay if you give somebody more value. You're going to build a stronger relationship. I've worked with a lot of people who are the opposite. They over-promise, <laughs> under-deliver, right. and they run through relationships like pants. I mean, they're totally... like you. you there's a phrase... I, I don't know if you watch SportsCenter uh, or big sports fan, but uh, Keith Olbermann yeah. you know, at, at ESPN, he didn't burn bridges. He napalmed them. Right. And there's right. no faster way to napalm a bridge... Then charging someone money and under delivering on that expectation and then being okay with it and moving on to the next deal. And there are a lot of guys like that. And, you know, it's not hard to identify them. They're slick talkers. Whatever you ask for, they tell you no problem. And then they're not around in five months. And yeah. you, you got you to be on the lookout for people like that. But the problem is they tell you what you want to hear. And that can be a very seductive Seductive it's usually pitch. the most charismatic people that are the ones that uh, pull off the overpromising. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, look, I'm not, a, I'm not slick. You know, I think I come off pretty awkward, probably in person a lot of the times. I'm not gonna come in and just like kind of talk somebody off their feet. But if you stick with me, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver what I, what I said I'm gonna deliver. So then you mentioned like it's bubble gum and duct tape and rubber bands and glue holding all this together. Like what? What compri What's like comprised of all that? Like outside of you and Reggie driving it, like what? Wh why do you do it every day? Uh, why do I do it it's every day? Well, it's, I, it's I, thankless work. It's a hard industry to monetize. I mean, I have a podcast with seventy episodes, and I've made twenty three hundred dollars, and right. and I don't do it for the money because I'm not. I think one percent. You know, of podcasters really can monetize, and many on your network do. I imagine. Yeah. No, I mean we're 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 doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, within the scope of things, I mean, uh, you know, depending on the week, we're either SoundCloud's number one or number two ranked podcast network. Um, you know, in the big picture, I don't think we're the number one or number two podcast network, but we're we're in the game. Like we're in the conversation. Uh, we have great partnerships with you know Apple, SoundCloud, a lot of different platforms so you know there there was a uh gimlet media had its one year anniversary party uh in new york i guess it was a couple of weeks ago and uh reggie and alex are friends and you know i came to it with reggie and we were talking to a lot of people and it was like the who's who of podcasting at least in new york it was like the podcasting illuminati you know <laughs> I, I was like oh this this is my kind of part like these are because I go to a lot of celebrity stuff just because of the work I do. And I, I, I really don't give a shit about seeing celebrities. Like, it doesn't... I don't get that rush that a lot of people get. But I got in this room with all these, like, big-time podcasters. And I was, I was having kind of, like, a fan moment. Wait, I was like, like who, who specifically? I mean, Alex Bloomberg. I'm like, this guy is killing it. Yeah. Oh, you know, all the, all the people from Midroll were there. Uh, the All the BuzzFeed podcast people were there. Um... I was talking to uh, JJ from Fast Company, who writes a lot about podcasting. I mean, it wasn't even so much the host; it was like all the b behind cool. the scenes. Well, yeah, and it, but in talking to people, like you know, people were coming to us to us and coming up to us and saying, "Oh, you know, we love Combat Jack Show. We love the Read. We love oh, Brilliant Idiot." 
so it, it, you know in some ways it was like a really validating moment but i also was like these guys have you know a lot of people who were also trying to get their shows on and trying to monetize their shows and you know tell you know when you talk to up and coming podcasters and they come up to you and say hey i love what you do but no one listens to my show of course you tell them to keep doing it right but what else, like what do you say besides just keep pursuing their dream because i think it's just it's noisier and noisier like you're saying the podcast yeah. landscape is already changing well i mean i have two basic messages that I give people in those type of conversations. And the first is do and me- meditate I, and do yo- eat and uh, meditate and yoga, <laughs> cut, cut out meat and uh, do you, but <laughs> do you 12, 12 times, 12 times. But I mean, look, even when I'm, when I meet with celebrities about podcasting, the first thing I say is the number one reason you should do a podcast is because you want to do a podcast, not because you want to make money, not because you think it's hot, you got to really want to do it. And that's true if you're a celebrity or if you're someone doing it out of, you know, your basement or whatever the case may be. Like, you just got to really want to do it because in some ways it's not a lot of work, but in a lot of other ways, if you want to do it right, um, it's a lot of work and you're just going to have to want to have that passion. Otherwise, you're just not going to see your return in all likelihood quickly enough uh, for, for you to have to stick with it without that passion. So that's the first thing. And, you know, that's a little cliche. The second thing I try to tell people is really try to define your concept. you got to have a high concept, I call it, in 2015. I mean, I can't tell you how many people come up to me. I, I, I was telling Reggie the other day, it's like I feel like I'm running a record label now and I'm getting, you know, people are trying to hand me their demos all the time. But, like, so many people come up to me, oh, I want to do a podcast. Cool what's it about well you know kind of be like barbershop talk like you know the same kind of you know talking about what happened in the news or what was on tv or i want to talk about sports and you know i don't want to discourage people but like that's not cutting it that's not cutting it now if you're doing it from your living room and it's not cutting it even if you're a celebrity and you got a million and a half or two million twitter followers like you gotta have a hook and what I tell people is, I, I say, like, imagine you're talking to somebody at a dinner party, and they say, what are you up to? You say, oh, I just started a podcast. What's the podcast about? What are you going to say when they ask you that? You better, ha- you better have something that, in a sentence or two, makes that person say, oh, shit, I got to listen to this, as opposed to the 30 other podcasts I have on my phone. And if, if your answer to that question is like, oh, we talk about pop culture gossip or we talk about reality shows or we talk about, um, you know, what's happening in football, like, okay, cool, do that if you just really have a burning passion in talking about that stuff. But as a business model, it's probably not going to cut it anymore. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I think people like the era of just interviewing someone and uploading that. Oh yeah, or an interview. Even like, even it's, just like we have so many interview yeah, shows. It's it's like you got to find a way that's going to make it stand out because people have a lot of options, and you know the beautiful thing is they have a lot of good options. It's not like they're waiting through trash. Like there's a lot of really like I can't keep up. Like if if I don't feel like I'm running a record label, I feel like I'm a, I'm a book editor who has like 75 books piled on their nightstand next to their bed. Like I, I can barely listen to all the loudspeaker shows every week, yeah. let alone 
other people's podcasts. Like, there's just a lot of really good choices out there. So if if you want to kind of bubble to the top, how do you stand out? I think that's the challenge people are going to face. Totally. I mean, I didn't ask this for me, but like, I'm even rethinking my format to if I do a 40 minute chat, can I edit it down to 22 minutes and make it have breaks and three segments? I think that's and, smart. I think you know, I, you like, know, it's funny you said that. I just, I literally just got off the phone uh, with Matt Raz, who uh, was on the Combat Jack show, and now is like really helping me, you know, with the kind of behind the scenes stuff on the network. And he was like. You know, we got to really start thinking about reformatting some of these shows just to give it like a breath of fresh air. And like, it's very easy to get into a uh, kind of like a groove where you're like, well, I'm going to keep doing this because this is what I've been doing. And, yeah. And, you know, it, it's too competitive now. Well, I'm, I'm actually renaming my show. It's called The Rhino Show. Okay. R-Y-N-O. And uh, it's a name I had growing up, and it, the logo is me with glasses. It's, or it's a rhinoceros with glasses. As, as a rhinoceros. Isn't, isn't there like a, oh, Mark Echo wasn't his thing, a rhinoceros? Oh, yeah, I think so. But like R-Y-N-O. He, uh, All right, I, I dig it. It's different. And like the influencer economy was great because I'm writing this book, and I'm publishing it in January. But it's almost like this podcast has reached a point where it's not for the book anymore. Right. And I'm just as interested in like, you know, urban graduates than I, as I am that you're part of the loudspeaker network. And it. it's like no longer focused on media. But yeah, I think the I'm toying with the format because we don't have time to listen to 50 minutes of long form interviews. Like, and if we do, we're listening to Mark Maron's WTF or we're listening to, you know, Nerdist or Combat Jack. Right. Because they're right. already way ahead of us in market share and reach and, and content. No, I mean, I think, I, look, there's always going to be some show or some interview or somebody who kind of, you know, separates himself from the pack unexpectedly and rises to the top. And that's, that's kind of what's so exciting about it. But yeah, I, I just think, you know, it's easy, it's easy to turn on the mic and just talk shit about what you want to talk shit about, which is what most podcasts are at the end of the day. But, you know, the challenge is going to be, how do I... That was Chris Morrow, who's an awesome guest, awesome guy. Phenomenal uh, chat. I always say they're phenomenal because I love every podcast that I've posted. I won't post a podcast unless it's something that I'm proud of and I'm happy with the end result. Chris's Loudspeaker Network is definitely a pioneering media company. Would not be surprised if in a couple years they are acquired by a bigger media conglomerate or they're just known as a power player. Because with the types of shows they're producing on iTunes and SoundCloud and other networks, you're not seeing a lot of that type of content that's as high quality out there. And it's really representing a hip-hop community for people that are urban achievers, folks that grew up on hip-hop that are looking for some type of content now that they've maybe gotten a little older and have evolved with their taste and styles. So big thanks to Chris for coming out again. Want to quick quickly update the Influencer Economy book. Super excited about it. It's going to release in February. I'll be officially self-publishing. Self-publishing is not what I initially thought I would jump into, and I'll provide a bigger backstory on a future episode, but it's happening. I'm so excited about it. What's cool about self-publishing is that it's entrepreneurial, and you can take a risk because I get a certain amount of the percentage of books that I sell. And so when you have a traditional publisher, most likely they're not going to market it for you. And I'm really a marketer's dream when it comes to podcasting without sounding too full of myself because I, I've marketed my whole career. 
So my entire book proposal was marketing heavy. And I can do that on my own, get a larger share of the back end. And getting the word out, I'll be bundling books so people can buy you know, one, three, five, 50, 100 books. And I'll be baking in consulting and Google Hangouts, workshops, seminars, opportunities to help people grow their businesses and launch their ideas to the world. So really excited about it. I got about 10 principles that I've uh, distilled down to three different steps that people can take to launch any idea, any startup, and any business out to the world. So I'm excited. I'm talking fast because I'm very passionate about this. And I and in general, what I've seen is you got to embrace your geek passion. And this is what I'm geeky about. Like love talking marketing and business around the influencer economy, a term that I, I coined a couple years ago. So that's it for now with the book update. I'm working on some big guests, hopefully very soon. Don't want to jinx them by talking about them, but they do involve me going with Julia, who is now two in one month. She's saying, oh yeah, she learned mine. My daughter Julia is a little over two and she learned mine. So she knows what's hers and she knows what's mine. And uh, that's a that's a new, new <laughs> realization that I have to come to terms with, that she knows what's hers and she won't be willing to give it up if it is mine. Anyway, heading over to Duke's Eberts for some chicken in the pot. And-